Welcome Black Hollywood Live fans. On today's Justice is Served, we talk an update in the Aaron Hernandez trial, a federal ruling in Texas, and the legal effect of Trump's policies on you. Stay tuned for more. You are tuned in to Black Hollywood Live. Justice is Served. <laughs> Welcome Justice is Served fans. Um, we are a team of attorneys. My name is Shaka Smith. Uh, you can find me at Shaka Strong on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. I'm joined here by Yemi Abayemi. Hi, Yemi Abayemi. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Yemiems. <laughs> Dominique Price, who you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, and that's it. Okay, <laughs> at Dominique P underscore ESQ. So yeah, we are a team of uh, talking attorneys, and we're just here to um, go down a couple of today's pertinent rulings and legal cases and just give our opinion. So um, we'll start off with the Aaron Hernandez case. We've been kind of following that for a while and we had a little update with the witness. Um, what do you guys think? Kind of give us a little rundown. I it, I, I it actually made me wonder, did Aaron Hernandez pay somebody to say this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> in the, so basically what happened is that um, this individual, I can't remember his name, um, said that he was at the nightclub the night of uh, the shooting and was with Aaron Hernandez essentially the whole time because yeah. <laughs> Aaron Hernandez was only in the club for nine or ten minutes and this guy says that he was talking to Aaron Hernandez for about seven to ten minutes. No one ever spilled a drink on him. No one stepped on his feet. He was nice and polite and that was the primary reason they're Where saying he, he retaliated. Where was he two years ago? <laughs> <laughs> and they're saying the primary reason he retaliated was because of that drink that was spilled on him mm-hmm. and this guy saying it didn't happen. There was no drink and I was with him the whole time and he was comfortable and fine so um, and, 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 and there's an actual picture of the two of them yeah. you know, kind of of so like, this, is, this is great for Aaron Hernandez um, but then it made me think you know did he pay someone to do that well the fact that he had a picture I was yeah. like okay well we do know that he was there mm-hmm. we'll yeah. give them that um, now, if he's covering up the whole drink thing, it's a nightclub, did he go to the bathroom, did he not see the drink? Like, there's so many other things that can go into what potentially happened at this club. So I don't think we should, you know, start celebrating just yet, or at least but Aaron does, shouldn't. Yeah, but it does bode pretty well for him. This guy is what a doctor, he had some, like, good credentials. He's a PhD, PhD student. student. Yeah, <laughs> and, he sounds and, really great. And I guess yeah. has, has nothing, you know, no, no dog in the fight, Yeah, well, uh, un- unless... But we're looking at different witness testimony, and the other witness that said it happened, you know, has got a criminal record and said he's got a bone to pick with Aaron Hernandez. So, well, and then when you look at the the two witnesses, you have to yeah. say, like, I'm gonna, be, I, you know, just off of resume alone, I'm gonna listen to this guy that's the PhD student over the, you know, criminal. And that's something for the jury to weigh. You know, they're gonna get evidence, um, witness testimony from both, and they can decide who they think is more credible. And odds are, given that. Um, I think Alex, <laughs> go with that given that Alex Bradley has admitted to selling right. drugs and apparently being Aaron Hernandez's drug dealer. And the enemy more, of Aaron Hernandez. They, they, right, exactly. He, they might um, be more likely to then believe this. Yeah, I mean, Does this change myself, the case? I think it totally changes the case. If I put myself in a juror's position and I hear both of these testimonies, it sounds like the the guy who's the alleged criminal had more of a bone to pick and more of a reason to lie, yeah. whereas the PhD student doesn't, like you said before, doesn't have a bone in this fight. Like, why lie unless we can? the prosecution can prove that he has some type of um, material gain? And we have that one, I believe he had the text messages earlier that he had deleted about, if I withdraw my testimony, can I get me for perjury? Um, so he's got a lot of um, reliability issues as a witness. I yeah. wouldn't believe him. Yeah. 
So I, I, this might get Aaron Hernandez off for this. So we'll see. But at this the end one. of the day, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah. at the end of the day, he's still he's still in prison for life. So it's kind of a, a moot point. Well, I mean, I think they can probably go back and look at that case and hopefully, fi- well, hopefully or not, I don't know, find errors with that case if he didn't in fact do it. But we'll see. Ooh. Fine, it's fine errors in this case that, case that suggests no, no, no. that he didn't no, no, kill no, I'm the saying it, Right now, they can't even like really focus on appealing that case right now because they got to fight this one. So then, if, once they get this one off the books, then they can go back and focus on that one. One so. thing at a time. Yeah, <laughs> one murder at a time. Right. Um, well, uh, moving on, we had a ruling with some federal judges in Texas um, that found that they had gerrymandered um, according to racial lines. And, you know, gerrymandering is where they make these congressional districts and they can do so in a way as to partition it so that one favors a particular candidate or, or party. Um, what did you guys think of this um, this development here? I thought it was good that they, I mean, I think it's important that, uh, you know, courts call out instances where uh congressional boundaries or any sorts of boundary lines are being uh, drawn solely based on race or solely to to um, dilute the voting power of a, a racial minority, which is what they found mm-hmm. here. They found yeah. that there were a lot of discussions um, in making these uh, congressional maps that involved uh, conversations about uh, undocumented I- immigrants and Spanish-speaking uh, individuals, and um, that was kind of the, the backdrop of them making these, drawing these lines. And, you know, the Supreme Court has said, as you mentioned, that if you're drawing partisan line, drawing these maps along partisan lines, we can tolerate that, but we can't do so uh, around uh, racial lines. That's not something that we can have. So I'm glad that there's someone who is looking into that and, and making sure these minorities have their voice heard. I agree a thousand percent, but what my issue is is that these these are always decided after a major election or after the decision has been made. There's yeah. really no recourse to go backwards, only yeah. to know this for the future. Yeah. And that's the thing that I always have a problem with. Well, and, I mean, I, I don't know that it would have made that big of a difference. The only thing you get, oh, it probably would have made a huge difference, but um, the only thing you can really do is hold those elected officials accountable, I guess, the ones that made the decision. Because it, it looks like they did this, the GOP approved this plan in 2011, mm-hmm. and that was after in 2010, like, statistics came in and said there was this huge minority explosion, and then all of a sudden the talk turned to voter ID laws mm-hmm. um, and things of that nature. And I guess we'll talk a little bit about this with Trump, but it looks like um, they're no longer going to defend, uh, the DOJ had gone in and said that the voter ID laws seem to be um, running counter to the the Constitution essentially because of the minority focus and that looks like the um, Trump team has withdrawn that um, focus by the DOJ. I, I thought they had uh, that they were still they were still looking at things along the the whether the maps were drawn uh, in an unconstitutional manner, but that the voter the voter ID laws were not something that they had necessarily said whether they were going to review or not. Oh no! Well, the DOJ had stepped in and. Um, joined the team that said we're going to support that these laws are unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Trump team now has, you know, reversed the DOJ and said pull, to pull back. And I believe they actually, well, that's for the, and the consent decrees as well is something we'll talk about with uh, Sessions. But um, interesting case with the gerrymandering, so hopefully they're going to do something different. And, you know, we got 2018 coming up, so we really hope there's some sort of change there. We can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now we have uh, judges ruled against Trump and uh, his right to free speech. You want to tell us about that one? So he's being, he's being, so I, I think this was, a, there was a rally, I, I believe in Louisville, Kentucky, yes. where, um, and it was made the news, a, a number of mm-hmm. Trump protesters had attended a Trump rally and ultimately were 
kicked out of the protest, but not only were they kicked out, but they were kind of ferried out by the Trump um, Trump supporters, pushed out violently, and you know Trump kind of sang along and said, "Yeah, get him out of here. Get him." He pointed get him, them out. Get yeah. him out of yeah. here. Yeah. Um, and so these plaintiffs are saying that. Uh, Donald Trump is accountable for for what they experienced. Yeah, so, inciting violence. So, so, so some of the uh, the claims in their complaint are uh, for vicarious liability because he should have had control over the environment in his rally, um, incitement to riot, and and negligence. And so we'll see. Um, they've kind of passed the first stage because they filed a motion to dismiss, uh, and and they've survived. The negligence claims and the incitement to riot claims survived. The vicarious liability yeah. claim did not. Yeah, we seem to have sometimes we talk about free speech like it's an absolute right. You no. Know? But there's there are limits, yeah. Yeah, so if you're encouraging someone to be violent, then you're not going to be, be protected. Uh, in this case, it's a question, there is a question, I mean, not even necessarily just along the free speech grounds, but in terms of the incitement to riot grounds. I mean, did he, you know, have the intent to provoke these 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 Trump supporters to have them put you know to get yeah. violent is it enough to say get him out of get him out of here is that enough to say oh you are provo- provoking violence right, 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 right and their their part was he knew that there were KKK members in the mm-hmm. crowd and that um, I guess there was a prominent white nationalist in the crowd as well and so that he should have known that that would have caused so it's not right. necessarily that he you know had to specifically know but that he should have known as well. I think they're hoping that the fact that there's video footage of him actually pointing them out is going to yeah. be enough. Yeah. Um, I, For an incitement to Yeah, riot? I don't think so, though. But it depends if, if, you, if you know how caustic the environment is. Right, and so I think that's something that you're not going to be able to tell from the video. You'd have, to, you'd have to prove that he knew the individual KKK members were actually in the crowd, and well, I don't know if you... If they have the evidence to be well, able to do so, there were a now couple. me, I yeah. feel like we. <laughs> I I well, mean, you know when the leader of the KKK is in your midst, in my mind. Uh, well, you know, I, there were a couple incidents like this on that on the trail. Yeah. So I think if it, depending on when this happened, had there been those before, that'll certainly help their case to say that he should have known that was the environment. So I think it'll depend on when there was other incidents of violence at the rallies. That I didn't read from the article at what point did this yeah, happen in the that whole scheme of things. The scheme of things. But we do have to be mindful that this wasn't the first rally of his where individuals were beaten up or yeah. um, chastised all the way out of the door. So I think that there there's good proof to show that his his rallies were, you know, Violent. So if this had happened, but if I those still had don't know if this? you can really say that it's his fault. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I actually kind oh. of. First, I, I don't even know that you can say because remember the vicarious liability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's already been thrown out. Yeah. So, so really, we're just left with the negligence claim. Okay, you, maybe you didn't provide adequate yeah, yeah, yeah. security, um, or you're left with the incitement to riot claim. But I don't know that the language get the, get them out of here is enough. is enough to say that oh you wanted them to to act violently well, and i and keep in mind that again for a motion to dismiss claim the standard is really low mm-hmm. all you ha- all you have to do is state a claim that if true could lead to liability and and all the uh, facts are kind of taken in favor of the plaintiff so it's a very very low bar to even I th- I personally think that they they have a, a really in, a good shot of passing through um, on this case as far as the negligence came because from the clips that I could see there were actual other protesters 
pulling the people out as opposed to his security yeah. team. And he watched he watched them as they do it. He didn't say, hey, 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 let let me get security to handle that. That's not your job or we got which, this taken which care also of. Which also kind of bolsters the incitement to violence claim too, though. So yeah. I, I, I do think, if anything, the negligence came has a higher chance of being successful. Yeah, but... I, I think that incitement to violence, especially if he had said get out before in other rallies and the protesters were abused, then he already kind of knows that that's the kind of language that gets you abused in, in a rally. Well, but, one um, of the things that the judge mentioned was that he used an imperative, a directive, yeah. an order, get him out of here, kind of telling them, to, this it's your job to get these guys out. Exactly. So like, you know, Rather than out. security or everyone yeah. wait, have security. Yeah, so... Um, I don't know. I think there's a high likelihood. Low likelihood, you think? Uh, I think the the I think the chances are a little bit slim. But I think the next piece, you know, even in terms of damages, the, the things that they are claiming are I can't sleep well. I have pain. I, well, I have anxiety. So I, I don't know how much. Even if they yeah. kind of do move forward and are successful, I don't know what damages would be. Uh, in the first place. Well, of course, if they're experiencing that, they probably can't work. And then now they're going <laughs> to Yeah, so that's the legal language Night for break. money. <laughs> yeah, that's the legal language for money. Um, so let's move on now to uh, Trump undoing uh, Obama's work, which, uh, to me, I don't know, it just almost seems that the administration hasn't necessarily had a forward vision so much as a vision of undoing a lot of Obama's work. But um, let's talk about what those legal effects have been about undoing um, that work. And we kind of start off with climate change. Uh, what do you guys think about this? So he's ordered a review of uh, the Clean Power Plan, and he lifted the 14-month halt, uh, I mean, the three-year halt that we had on coal leases yeah. um, on federal lands. So what did you guys think about the area of climate change? I feel like we all have to live on this earth, and <laughs> <laughs> we all hope that it's there for ourselves, our children. Um, so I'm a little bit nervous about what this means for just the environment and of course we know the EP the EPA I think he intends to is it that yeah. he just in, intends to shut it down altogether yeah um so I guess this is just one one step, step closer step uh yeah mirroring yeah. that yeah I think uh, one thing I can say yeah. about Trump that although I have my my strong disdain for him mm-hmm. he has been very committed to what he said on the trail yeah he's been more actionable in his first few months uh, on exactly the points that he made in his campaign. And to that, I I have to be, you know, I have to give him his kudos and his respects on that because I feel like there have been so many presidents that have come before him that not only don't follow through, but it's year three and a half when you see some real momentum kick up and you're just like, what have, what have you been doing? I'm There's confused. Plenty of momentum here. <laughs> he has way too much momentum, which is like kind of scary, but it's yeah. like at the same time, it's kind of and interesting. He, he also got rid of <laughs> he, he also got rid of the, the policy where they're supposed to take the social cost of carbon emissions um, yes. when they look into approving um, different plans. And so th- that to me is interesting. I thought this was very self-serving. Because we oh, know that industry. for his industry, yeah. I feel like because we know that he has a lot of investments. Yeah. Um, I just kind of felt like, are we not? Are we not yeah. all gonna call bullshit on this? Yeah. But and the administration, guess nobody agreed. And the previous administration had been cracking down on methane emissions from oil and gas wells, and that's no longer something that we do. Yes. So the, the, some of the environmental stuff, but that's the impact of it. But I didn't. It, it's curious to me as to why you would do that, but you know. It reminds me of like an, a first season episode of Scandal when uh, 
their biggest um, donor was a oil tycoon, and he would come in and just like have his way in the White House because he had given so much money, and it yeah. kind of just makes you want to wonder like who's really paying your pocket for you to be so hard yeah. um, just on environmental stuff. So, And then, again, we just had the big ruling or the big uh, legislation that passed that he signed about the Internet. Um, there was a lot of uproar about this, um, and basically letting um, Internet providers provide information to third parties. Um, so, you know, Obama administration had said... We don't we don't want that to happen, and so this is going to be law, and this is going to. It, I think it was about a few months away from going into effect, or very soon. But now they've removed that um, regulation. Um, what do you guys think of this? And do you buy that it's supposed to like not now innovation will no longer be stifled, and there'll be more jobs as a result? That's bullshit. <laughs> I don't see the cost, the link to, to the internet providers being able to sell my information, to there being more jobs. Like, I, I need somebody to draw that on a map and show me how those link together. Um, I think it was interesting because the argument that I read was that they felt like they were holding the internet providers to a higher standard than say, for example, Google. So and you're choosing winners and losers. Right, right, right. And they didn't feel like that was fair. And from that argument, I kind of understood a little bit more where they were trying to come from because that is a big um, pr profit um, income for companies like Google and Yahoo. And so it's like, well, why can't these individuals um, profit from that as well? had a whole entire break. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's happening here? Um, and so from that argument, I was like, okay, that makes sense. But my issue is that I don't necessarily agree with the Googles and the Facebooks doing it either. Yeah, so I mean, it's like it's, it's like you're basically saying, hey, we want to even the playing field for you, but that playing field isn't fair on consumers. It makes corporate sense. You know, as oh, Chelsea would say they're treating sense. corporations like people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would ruffle her feathers. Um, and then now we go to abortion. So with abortion, um, they have signed in, well, they've signed to law, I guess, states can withhold federal funds from, federal family planning funds from Planned Parenthood affiliates and anyone that provides abortions or those services. Um, and we also went, um, got rid of the Mexico rule. Can you tell me about the Mexico rule? So with the Mexico rule, that was a rule, and it, it, that was a rule that basically bans um, providers of kind of like almost like Planned Parenthood services, um, uh, women's health services, those that um, provide either abortions or those who even just provide advice about abortions, um, they're saying that they, the, you know, the federal government will not fund these yeah. organizations even if they provide a variety of women's health services. The fact that um, Trump has kind of reversed Obama's position on the Mexico, what is it called, the Mexico rule, rule yeah. um, is, is not unusual. Each president, uh, going back at least you know four or five, has, has reversed it upon coming into yeah. office. So it's, it's one that actually acts as a volleyball regularly. So this is not a surprise. Yeah, though I didn't necessarily agree with it, that was the one thing I was like, oh, it's sort of presidential, because it actually follows some sort of strictures <laughs> of, the, of the past. <laughs> but um, So I didn't really take him to task too it's, much for it's that. It's interesting but, to yeah. me, when you really kind of look at some of our previous presidents, I think we we spend as a, a country so much time undoing what another has done instead mm -hmm. of like trying to figure out a way to kind of like cohesively examining the together. policy to see if it yeah you know, to even see yeah. if it even worked. We're just upset that the other guy did it. Yeah, and I'm just like, is that really effective governing? Yeah, that's the problem. I think is that, and even the Mexico rule because 
we I've never even heard of no. it being covered. No. You know? <laughs> I think people covered it because it kind of made Trump look bad. Yeah. You know? So some to some degree you gotta have a little bit of fairness. Um, but then he's you know done some work with the Keystone the and the Dakota Access pipelines. Um, with Keystone. You wanna tell us about that? Uh just the approval process. So, like, he went ahead and he approved the Keystone Pipeline that had been... Um, right, 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 right. Yeah. And so a lot of people are saying that they had an issue with it because, as we've, as we've mentioned on the show before, Trump actually used to have interest in the in Keystone, but he put it into a trust before coming into his presidency, but he has now since approved their work in moving to another location. And so mm-hmm. right now... The new location, which I can't remember exactly where it is on the on the line, yeah. um, but they are now in a tizzy to try and block it as well. Yeah. So, the, yeah, that just it it just kind of was a it showed a competing balance between I guess um, the Obama administration thought it would not advance um, our it would not advance our fuel independence enough mm-hmm. to be reliable as a partner in climate change and like. A global partner in um, the climate, and so but Trump has said pro industry, pro industry, and so and I think that's the reason I need to prove the Dakota Access Pipeline. You want to tell us a little bit about that and that little kerfuffle? <laughs> uh, well, so I mean, we we know that there was a lot of uh, kind of uproar about yeah. this uh, access pipeline because a lot of uh, Native American communities were saying that the routes that were going to be used for these pipelines um, will damage their uh, access to, I guess, water and even just some uh, cultural sites as well. And mm-hmm. so there was a lot of uproar about that. And, you know, under the Obama administration, they were saying that there there are alternative routes that you guys can take for yeah. this. So let's explore that. But um, Donald Trump, in anti-Obama fashion, says, hey, let's let's move ahead. And they've started even drilling yeah. under the, one of the lakes that was at issue. Mm-hmm. Um, they've It's under the lake, but it's still a little bit more. They tried to kind of come to a happy median by diverting the the route a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's still very close to the original um, path. Yeah, so you know, take it for it is just kind of ticking down, you know, what, what Trump has done in these last few days. Um, and then fuel efficiency, which kind of surprised me, because I don't know why you would, like, try to um, limit fuel efficiency standards. But when I first heard Apparently, of the story... Apparently it's like an issue with car manufacturers. Yeah, but when I first I heard of the story, though... he's trying to keep though, his promises to Michigan. Yes. Yeah, of course. Those Rust yeah. Belt states that got him, got him elected in the first place. Yeah, but when I first heard the story, I heard it as he's kind of wiping out these um, new regulations that were going to come up. But what actually happened was it looks like there's supposed to be a midterm reevaluation, mm-hmm. and then the Obama administration sped that up because they wanted to make sure it wasn't reevaluated in, in the negative. So he just reinstituted the reevaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully he sticks to the better fuel standard for what is it, twenty uh, twenty-two to twenty twenty-five. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I feel like that shouldn't be controversial. Maintaining high fuel efficiency. <laughs> you, would, you would think that this wouldn't be an issue. <laughs> but if it's forcing people to innovate too quickly, then maybe it's a high cost. It's really all for industry because yeah. if the industry can't do it, then or they can do it, but they know they, they want to find the cheapest costly. way. Exactly, yeah. the cheapest way too. And then um, this is we, a very pro corporation. Which, Agenda. Not really. Which is what we understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming yeah. in, we knew it was going to be a pro-business administration. But it's like at the expense and potentially of, pro, yeah, right, at, at, of the person of the people of the people. At least how I see it. Um, and then we withdrew from the TPP. It's which, down. <laughs> the benefits of the corporation will extend yeah. to the people. They, yeah. How? So, so they say how. <laughs> um, and then I guess the last big thing was on finance, which. 
you know, kind of got us into that whole big Great Recession thing before. Um, so he wants to he wants to repeal Dodd Frank, which is put in place to avoid the big banks from doing what they did before and getting us into a sort of financial quandary. Um, and then something else you want to do with finance, you remember? Right. So he wanted to um, the Obama I think I believe it was the Obama administration that instituted a, a fiduciary rule, which basically said yeah. those financial advisors that are providing retirement advice to individuals, you can't steer them towards um, high commission. To, to, to accounts that lead towards high, high commissions for you, very high-risk investments that might negatively impact um, the these retirees. And that's, the, that's, that's just the result. It, the, the whole thing says you just have to put you them first. To, yeah, <laughs> like, right. You, the, basically, the rule is just you need to you need to put their best interests first. That yeah, was, that's the rule. Which you would think you would be paying for in the first place. Yeah, and these are and they're like the most vulnerable. Yes. These are people like retirees. That, you yes. know, this is their last bit of money. You know. Yeah, so they um, so they're walking that back, and and even the argument that the banks were saying was, oh, we cannot provide, we're limiting the options that we can then provide towards these retirees. But I don't think that putting their best interests first necessarily has to be mutually exclusive right. with yeah. providing them with good options. Yeah, so that that to me was stunning. But um, <laughs> if you are a retiree and you have limited options, you might want to get something from Blue Apron. You want to? <laughs> I mean, I think a retiree could do really, really well yeah. with Blue Apron. Like they wouldn't have to go to the grocery store. It's only ten dollars a meal. Like they still like to cook. Like I think this would be maybe this is what you guys should get your grandparents for Mother's and Father's Day. Like yeah. everyone should just go ahead now and buy them a Blue Apron subscription. And not even retirees, but you guys try Blue Apron. I, right? I love yeah. Blue, Apron. Blue, Apron. <laughs> Blue Apron. It's great. You get new meals every week. Uh, all the ingredients. You don't have to go to the grocery store. You just got to chop them up, prepare them, um, and and you're ready to go with a different meal every week, which is great for me because I tend to eat cook cook once a week and I eat the same thing for you know five or six days. But you can get tired of that. Whereas with Blue Apron, you're literally eating a new meal every day, something, and you're learning these new recipes that you can actually. Eat. Yeah, I mean, just hear what they have as the up upcoming meals they have spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza yum like who doesn't want pizza sweet and sour salmon with bok choy bok choy is probably my favorite vegetable um parmesan crusted chicken i'm hungry Ooh. just thinking about it like what time are we done know, right? i'm ready to order so if you guys are feeling as hungry as i am after listening to some of the meals for this week you guys should go to blueapron.com slash justice so that you can get three free meals. Oh, it's like Oprah's. You get a meal, you get a meal, you get a meal. <laughs> so definitely go and check that out, you guys, because they use some of the best quality products. From local um, from local farmers. Yeah. Oh, it's, awesome. it's like the number one fresh ingredient recipe delivery service in the country. Wow. Well, thank you, Blue Apron. Love the support you guys provide. Um, and then we have just a few more, just uh, real quickly, uh, got a few more minutes here. Uh, Sessions now, the DOJ, so, you know, a lot of people were wondering, you know, people kind of railed against Sessions, what, what are the effects of that? Um, and so we got one of our first big ones um, now, this, this consent decree memo. Um, do you want to talk to us about the memo? <laughs> well, so Jeff Sessions has been uh, I interviewed mul on multiple occasions. Even when he was going through the confirmation process, he was asked questions about how he feels about these consent decrees that police departments are entering into. And he made no mistake about it. He wasn't bashful about it, but he says, I don't know that I see their value. I, I don't even know that the, the research that goes into re researching departments like Ferguson uh, and Chicago, um, I don't even know that they're scientifically based or that they provide yeah. a lot of information. And he says, 
because, you know, we really don't want to hamper police departments and get in the way of protecting the public safety. So let's probably investigate this and, and walk it back so that we can make sure that our police police departments have kind of the can use the full panoply of their resources <laughs> to, 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 to encourage public safety. And he doesn't really take much of the community concerns into account, especially those communities where, you know, it has been shown that these police departments are um, d- demonstrating patterns of racial discrimination um, or excessive use of force. He, he, he seems to brush that aside, uh, all um, in support of just maintain, maintaining fr- freedom and broad yeah. leeway, leeway for these police departments. So, so he's ordered this review of these consent decrees to see if they, they advance public safety or do they, you know, really inhibit police departments from hiring people and you know, doing their job. Saving face. <laughs> like, what do you mean by saving face? Because he, he, he repeatedly said that this was something that he wasn't going to put a lot of energy into to now saying yeah. that he will. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, what, what side of, like, the coin are you going to be in on the issue? Well, it seems like he's willing to put energy into it to the extent that we are removing burdens on police departments because yeah. Trump has been, been very, very clear about his desire to kind of execute a, a law and order policy. And so this is actually consistent with what Trump has been saying. And it, it almost seems like a, a method for them to to effectuate those those Trump claims. And he said in it uh, as well, you know, we're going to be looking at whether these policies are in line with the president's edicts. Yeah. And, and so he, in terms of law and order being one of them, rolling back and his, these his, consent decrees is, is, is in furtherance. What I thought that. was interesting was one of his major concerns was how the police department would be viewed because of just a few bad apples that people <laughs> might be distrustful. You know? I mean, when these studies found systemic racism... In Deficiencies these, yeah. in, in training, <laughs> poor policies, lack of accountability. And, and the, a lot of the consent decrees actually had, like, had whole sections devoted yeah. to community trust, so to build trust with the community. So how would he think that was like taking away from I don't him? think he actually read these. So, <laughs> prior to he, oh. he, he's, he said that he's, he said oh I've, I've skimmed them yeah, yeah. and so I, I guess they were supposed to have one in um, Maryland because um, federal judges review these consent decrees to make sure their um, cities are complying with them and they're supposed to have a hearing on Monday but the federal government asked them to postpone it and then in came this memo so um, it didn't really bode well for the consent decrees already in place even uh, yeah. much less the ones that were probably going to go forward. Rahm Emanuel did say that at least speaking for Chicago, the city of Chicago, he said that they do intend to follow through and um, pay attention to uh, some of the recommendations and, and do what they can on their end, but they just they can't speak for the government. And now. now there may be no federal oversight of right. it. Um, and then we had uh, another, I guess, a positive development in response to some of what's going on, at least positive from my, my viewpoint. Uh, <laughs> don't know who's out there listening. Uh, and don't alienate yeah, I don't some alienate. of our potential listeners. Um, but yeah, so in California, we recently passed a bill um, kind of designating us as a sanctuary city. Um, do you want to tell us about that? Yes, so we've just passed uh, this S- Senate Bill 54, which bars law enforcement agencies from using our own using California resources, local local resources, state re- resources um, to help immigration efforts, which are a federal matter. Yeah. And so, basically, what um, what you know, folks, officials here are saying is that we need to be using our resources efficiently, uh, and we can't be going up against, you know, law-abiding immigrants um, and in utilizing our resources to, to do the federal government's job on immigration. And therefore, um, we're, not going to nece- we're not going to be um, 
providing them trans tr- providing transfers when the when the federal government requests transfers of these undocumented individuals. Um, we are let's see what else we're not going to um, respond to requests for release dates because sometimes the federal government will ask you when, know, when is released, this so they can pick them up to deport I, exactly. Yeah. And so they're saying we're not going to do that, but there are some exceptions. They will provide assistance to the extent that the undocumented immigrant is um, co- has been convicted of a violent felony. Yeah. In those cases, they're saying okay, well, we can yeah. cooperate. So we're talking about lower tier crimes. Right, but we do need to manage our our finite resources. What do you think of this? I'm sorry. I was I was re- had to reread something about sessions because I was like I want to make sure that I read the article correctly. So to make sure that we're all on the same page. <laughs> yeah. During his confirmation, he said that he was not going to continue with the um de- the Consent decrees. Thank you. Um, but in his memorandum that has come out as of Monday, he has asked the DOJ to review them. Yeah. Okay. So. Now, <laughs> my brain was not catching it. I was like, mm, no problem. we're not on the same page. We are. I'm sorry, guys. But yeah, sanctu- but so with the sanctuary cities, though, so do you agree with this legislation that um, California's put forth? <sighs> so I they're not going to coordinate. <laughs> I don't necessarily all the way disagree. I just want to see. I, 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 to me personally, like I just feel like there should be more review processes done prior to putting something in place. Like I yeah. want more data, and I don't yeah. feel like in this particular case it was presented. No. To to the extent again, and to the extent that you do have a finite amount of resources. I do. Th- I think it makes sense to dedicate your law enforcement resources to those who are committing crimes and, and acting as a detriment to public safety. Yeah. To the extent that you have um, an individual who's working, you know, paying taxes or you know, yeah. and, and and not doing anything to harm your community, um, I can understand why you wouldn't want to di- devote resources to that when there is a federal government, it, you know, that has that responsibility. Because well, typically, I would say, you know, you want to coordinate with the federal government. Right, right, right. And it, it seems kind of odd and out of step, but... It just I, didn't make sense to me. Like, I wanted yeah. to understand why they were taking this route. Well, I know. I think ultimately they're doing it because they don't want families broken up. Because the federal government, at least now, seems to be doing these deportations in a way that doesn't really consider the family and what's happening. Right, 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 you know, right. If you're a dreamer and you were brought here before, you know, you have no idea, then deporting you to another country. And so I think we just had a dreamer that was um, picked up maybe like two weeks ago or so. Right, right, right. So I, I think they're doing it for the sake of like human capital, you know, and the appreciation of human life. I didn't life. realize this, but apparently a quarter of the undocumented I- uh, immigration population in the U.S. is is in, here in California. Yeah, so it is oh, a very, I, I think very, it is a huge burden. Yeah, and so I, um, so between being the, um, having the burden, but I think also wanting to ensure that communities felt safe. Because I think that that's more of an upheaval in the community if you're taking away people that are earning money and sending them away, and now you might have more crime, or, you know, I, I think it causes more of a disruption than than at least what's been the status quo so far. but What I did think was interesting was that they also introduced an, uh, another bill, Senate Bill 6, where they put aside money, $12 million, in a legal defense fund for those immigrants that were um, facing deportation. Yeah. That, that, now, I thought, that I thought was amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, so I thought that was good, but then it made me wonder, well, what other types of legal defense funds can we put, to, you know, <laughs> yeah. put together for people who, yeah. who need them? Uh, not to kind of go astray, but, you know... We, That's we, funny. My brain didn't even go there. I was just happy that they were stepping up to provide some kind of help. No, I think that's great, but yeah. I would like to see that then for other communities. Um, we know the impact that kind of being um, 
kind of in a lower economic so, so socioeconomic status can have yeah. if you are engaged in the in the criminal system but don't have enough money for bail or an attorney, uh, the consequences are going to hurt you much Far disproportionately worse, yeah. to someone who actually does money. So can can we put together a legal defense fund for people who don't have a ton of money? You know, are there other things? So I thought I thought that was interesting that they. Um, kind of sp- specifically put together that fund for those uh, immigrants at risk of deportation, but I would like to see, yeah. you know, what else can we do I think, the, I think, you know, they, they, you know, they fuel a lot of industry here. And <coughs> you don't feel safe or, you know, then I, corporations hurt as a result as well. So I think it hurts corporations, families, businesses, jobs, so. Right, but, and, yeah. well, and in, in addition, you want undocumented workers to also cooperate with mm-hmm. law enforcement. Yeah, so yeah. you don't you don't want to alienate themselves. That actually puts a city more at risk if you cannot rely on a significant portion of your population yeah. um, to help you with with law enforcement matters. So you do need to maintain a relationship, and, and, the, and that's a delicate balance, rather than kind of just putting down the hammer and saying, you know, all of you guys, no yeah. sanctuary for you. Yep. Yeah. Well, that is our Trump policy wrap up for the day. Um, thank you guys for joining us. My name is Shaka Smith. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at Shaka Strong. Hi, I'm Yemi Abayami. It was great being with you guys. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Yems. And you guys can find me, Dominique Price, at Dominique P underscore ESQ. See you guys later. Executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us. Info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio. Instagram us at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.